The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. Tonight we'll be talking to Claire Belfrage and Yuani Skess. In this session, Yuani and Claire will discuss their arts practice and their engagement with community and in turn their roles as artists to their immediate and broader communities. I'm very excited to introduce both Claire Belfrage and Yuani Skess and before we speak to the artists, I'll give a brief introduction to their practices. Yuani Skess is a Kokapa and Nikanu artist living and working across Adelaide and Melbourne. An esteemed artist of national and international significance, Skass is known for her, her anthropomorphic forms and installations that explore the political and aesthetic properties of glass, creating works that highlight the legacies and trauma of colonisation on Indigenous Australians. Earlier this year, Yuani was awarded the Ulingua Fellowship and featured in the Adelaide Biennial exhibition Monster Theatres at AXA, curated by Lee Brod. And next year, Yuani will show new work with collaborator Lisa Radford at ACE Open with a response into the investigation of genocide and nuclear destruction across America, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, Japan, and Australia. Claire Belfrage is a nationally and internationally renowned artist working in glass with a career spanning the past three decades. Claire is inspired by nature and the natural world and is known for her highly refined, detailed and complex glass, drawing on blown glass forms. Her ongoing fascination with nature, its patterns and rhythms is reflected in her technical and material explorations. Belfrage was recently awarded the honour of adjunct professor at the University of South Australia and has been acknowledged through multiple awards, residencies and exhibitions throughout her career. In 2018, she exhibited at the Jam Factory Icon Series with the show A Measure of Time, followed by a three-year national tour. And the same year was the feature artist of the South Australian Living Artists Festival and subject of the Sala Monograph, published by Wakefield Press. Welcome, Yuani and Claire. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll just, sorry, just quickly add to um, that intro as well that uh, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation and uh, where I live and work in Melbourne. And uh, I pay my respects to elders past and present here. And also um, I pay respects and acknowledge my elders, particularly the women in my family um, and my grandfather's sisters um, who currently reside in Sejuna in South Australia. I wanted to speak to you both together because I feel as artists trained in glass, there is an embedded sense of community and collaboration within your practice, uh, more so than many other mediums due to the physicality of the making process. Um, so I thought that might be a good place to start our, our discussion from that point. And if you could both, if I could ask you both to speak to what community and collaboration means to you and your practice. I'll open up to Claire first. Yeah. Hey, sure. <laughs> and, uh, hello, everyone, too. It's really lovely to see you all here. Some familiar, definitely familiar names and faces and some new ones, too. It's terrific. Um, yeah, so I've worked um, uh, in with Glass for over 30 years and it is, I've been enormously um, supported by the community of practice that is sort of made up um, 
with people who work with glass. There's, as a glass blower, you know, most of my process happens in the hot shop or half of it, I should say. And um, so I work always in a team uh, of people. And in that way, it is, it is collaborative, not necessarily at the sort of idea development side, but definitely at key parts of the making process. And I rely enormously on the skill and experience and commitment actually um, from those other skilled glassmakers um, in order to make my work. And just even thinking with um, thinking about Deb's introduction and why this series has kind of evolved um, from Guildhouse, I was actually thinking about a lot of the ways we work together and the level of care that is given and shared, a real caring for each other, like actually in the making process. That's it, sort of, I find, I think it's, it is pretty special and it is perhaps something quite, uh, quite particular to glass, not exclusive of other processes, but I think that expression of care that happens through the making process between your team is something that uh, reinforces this kind of sense of community um, all the time. There are really there are real different levels of community. There's, you know, that's really what I've spoken about then is your immediate team. But then of course there are kind of, you know, I, I like to think of it as rings and rings outwards. There's the broader um, glass community here in Adelaide, and then there's a national ring and then an international ring. And I've I've traveled quite a bit with my work and sort of have experienced very similar kinds of levels of respect and interest and, you know, things in common and it's sort of way that people share a lot of their, their skills and knowledge to really support each other and, uh, you know, help each other along. It's not, it's not perfect. I don't want to be completely, you know, rosy because then it starts to sound unbelievable, but it is, it definitely is a really strong um, trait of it. What do you reckon, Yuani? Yeah, definitely. Like it was, I think about, like I've been practicing now for 15 years and just listening to your, you talk just earlier now that um, uh, going back to our conversation that we had with Debbie the other day about what type of communities um, or what kind of community I have. And I was saying that I've got quite, a, you know, quite a number of members within my own community. And that's just not, you know, like my family, my wider Aboriginal community in South Australia and here in Victoria um, but then there's also um, my artistic family here. There's the community that I have at the Victorian College of the Arts where I teach part-time. But then there's also the, the glass community in Adelaide, which I, try, you know, sort of, um, you know, have been working with um, for a large number of years now, so on large-scale projects. So it's... Um, it's important for me too that I, when I work collaboratively with people that, it, you know, I'm working with people that are, are culturally sensitive to the stories that I want to create. And I think um, particularly with the Jam Factory associate program, it's been amazing because I've been able to work quite closely with uh, some of the associates along the, the, the times that I've, I've worked on large work. So um, and it's quite a beautiful relationship that I have with them. And, and so that's why, yeah, I call them my glass family as well. So I'm missing them quite a lot. 
mm. um, being uh, sort of in restrictions here in, in Melbourne. And I think you know, more so recently with my uh, collaborative project with Lisa Radford, um, I invited her to work with me on uh, this research project called um, The Images Not Nothing and Concrete Archives because I wanted to be able to work with someone who I felt like I could be uh, vulnerable with, I think, particularly, you know, visiting sites of nuclear trauma and genocide, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm probably rambling, but anyway, so it's sort of, yeah. Um, no, that's actually leading into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is how do you cultivate your community? Obviously, there's a portion of your community that's cultivated because you're, you're physical distance and you need to actually collaborate and work together. But aside from that, there's got to be something else that I guess um, builds that community and sustains it. And I wonder if that's something that um, you feel comfortable in talking about to do both of you. Do you want to go first, Claire, or yeah? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, it's sort of interesting, like, I've, I've worked in quite a number of share studios. Um, part of that's the nature of uh, hot glass studios and, and sort of it makes a lot of sense to share the resources even in a cold glass studio that's, um, that's doing grinding, polishing, sandblasting, thinking, designing, you know, that kind of thing. It's like I've lived it's like I've worked in share houses you know for for um, the whole of my career in some ways although um although I do have a home studio now um so anyway so they've sort of they've been the sort of key models that I've um, worked within um and uh there's there's been a lot of drive to make them work so you have to invest in it you know and that's been that's been done in different ways in different studios of you know regular sort of get-togethers and meetings and uh discussions to work things out and um but yeah that real to make it work you have to invest in your own needs for the studio um, but also in others, and that's mm-hmm. sort of been really, really important, I think. So, you know, finding sort of common languages and common ways of working and also being very ex- accepting of quite a, quite a diverse way of working um, I think has been really important. The, the key studio I work on at, in at the moment is the Jam Factory um, Glass mm-hmm. Studio, which Yuani talked about as well. And we, you know, we have regular meetings and regular cleanups and regular slideshows. None of that has happened this year, of course. We've, you know, it's much we're much more separate. But other ways, I think that we really invest in each other is, you know, even supporting each other in writing grant applications and, you know, things like that when their tough times hit or and there are opportunities available. Um, there's that way of supporting each other's practice that's sort of really important Um, and we you know I think people do that quite a bit for each other they're sort of is that sort of answering that do you think Deb or definitely definitely I do wonder how that community shifts when you're working when you have a home studio as well whether that's more work to make the community work or whether you're kind of like phew I'm at home and I can just get on with my stuff <laughs> well, I, I definitely need both things to to sort of this, that gives me sort of a really good balance both in my life I think and also to, in definitely in my practice I need the you know the sort of heavy high energy input um, that happens typically in the hot class studio of um, of other workers around, 
uh, which isn't just people on my team, you know, it's happening, there's sort of a, a whole environment that you're immersed in. And then I really need the quietness of my home studio um, that I do share with my partner, but we're usually not in it at the same time, where I get a lot of um, focus and um, and it's immersive in a completely different way. It's immersive in the, in the way that I can just really be very quiet with my work and, you know, I might be sanding the surface of my work and I'm really looking and learning that piece and thinking about the ideas. So that balance is really important. But I do share my, that studio. We have, we have you know, groups of um, young artists come through to see the studio and mm. to both see how we set it up, see the work that we've got and also, you know, discuss stuff. And teaching, of course, is another really important part of building community and, and making us, you know, contributing to the ongoing kind of community. And Ioani's doing quite a bit of teaching at the moment, aren't you? Um, I guess I, just adding on from um, your your um, description of home studio as well, because I, I, I technically don't have a studio. I have a work desk and... But and I often say that well, I do my, my studio is you know the I guess it's a travelling studio so I you know majority of my work is uh, field work so I'm often travelling on my own um, locally or internationally and so it's really nice to be able to um, and I'm quite a solitary person too I like I like a lot of time to myself because of the subject matter that I'm researching but at the same time it's sort of coming home. And, and creating a, a body of work, yeah, really important to be able to uh, access a studio, which is a public studio like the Jam Factory. So it's I, I really like that environment where I can, I do, you know, like I was mentioned before, I can come and go and I feel like I've never really left and it's nice to meet new people and talk about ideas and, you know, I have a quite a close working relationship with Crystal Britcher and she's been working on some work for me now because I can't come to Adelaide. So, and uh, she worked quite closely with me for the work for the Adelaide Biennial as well. So, and I physically can't make large work anymore, sadly. I miss that, but I, I really love that I can call on people who I trust to be able to make the work when I'm not there. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's the relationships that with Crystal. That's a relationship you've built up for over many years, Yuani. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So and um, yeah, it's been. And she used to be a student of mine when I was teaching yeah. theory at the University of South Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know, um, and that's why I think you know, yeah. You, I think when you build that trust with someone as well, it's sort of it's it's quite a it's quite a strong bond, and it's. Yeah, that the long-term conversation that you have with someone is really important, and I think that you have to have respect for each other. That's really important for me too. Yeah, so I think you know she's not the only one as well. Like there's uh, Georgia Juice who doesn't live in Adelaide anymore. She moved back to New Zealand. She was quite a close collaborator with me as well. So I tend to choose a lot of women that I want to work with as well. And um, but I have worked with. Um, Luella Nash and uh, Liam Fleming as well. So mm. it's um, you know I often choose people for the for the right project as well. So yeah. I spread it out a little bit because um, yeah, it's such a, a 
great working environment there. Everyone's excited. It's just reminded me of um, a couple of years ago, I was um, invited to give a demonstration at the Glass Art Society conference in the USA, in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, and they, they, have, they have a couple of thousand people usually come to their conferences and they have lots of things going on at the same time. And the night before I was giving my demonstration, I just went, what was I thinking? Why didn't I bring my assistant um, with me to do this? Um, and I've worked with my main assistant, assistant uh, Madeline Proud, I've worked with for seven years now, and she knows my every move and anticipates everything, reminds me of the things that I forget, you know, steps that I might have forgot. Um, so she's really totally got my back. And I just had a, a very, very nervous evening going, you know, I, this, I, I never want to do this again, roll up for a demonstration and not have my team. Mm. Um, uh, and I just really um, was reminded yet again, you know, how important that is. But the other the interesting thing that happened is I, I worked with some local um, young artists um, to do the demonstration and uh, they were very familiar with the studio and they were actually fantastic. Um, and I was, you know, completely able to make um, what I needed to make because their, their level of skill was really good and they were really invested in it too. And there's this kind of, I guess, a sort of international language to some extent as to, you know, how to, how to do things. And um, even though they were, you know, weren't even from the same country, it actually worked out pretty good. So it was sort of really, it was a mixed bag of just going, oh, you know, I should have the person here that I that I really that I really know and who knows me so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. actually, it still was sort of okay. Yeah. One of the things we talked about the other day, thinking about the title of the the talk, the the role of the artist was, what is the job of an artist, and what is the responsibilities of an artist. And one of the things you mentioned, Claire, was the responsibility to develop your own voice. And I think that's, you know, probably the first hurdle for any artist is to figure out what it is they're saying and how they want to project that. I wonder if you could both talk a little bit about how you developed your own voice as being that you've been in in the game for a while. There's an awful lot of sort of technical stuff to, to, it feels that you need to sort of get under your belt to before you can feel like you've got your own voice, although I think it's actually really important not to separate those things too much. I think you can be, um, and I'd always teach this when I was teaching at both universities and in workshops, you can be very creative with very small levels of skill too. So you can be building your skill level but always challenging yourself to, um, to, to develop your creativity. Having said that, it took me a really good 10 years of practice, I think, before I started to feel like I was finding my own voice. Um, and that was really about, um, and I think that's okay too, you know, there's an awful lot of pressure for people to come straight out of university and sort of, you know, become famous within a year, which is, you know, nuts really. Mm. Um and so I worked for a lot of people. I did a lot of assisting as well as um, doing some production work. And then just I think I was, what was really important was just to keep putting a little wedge in and opening the door 
you know, asking yourself the questions as to it, what what you're on about and why, and and it's a real learning a process of actually learning yourself. I think it's different for different people too, um, but I I sort of was really drawn to pattern work, and then you know through that process of questioning and questioning and questioning, I really really learnt for myself that it was the patterns in the natural world that I was particularly drawn to and I started to learn how to bring that into my work. Um, I, I think the, um, the role of an artist is to be essentially be a communicator. Um, you're a communicator of either of stories, you know, essentially of um, you're creating ideas and, and giving them a sort of physical presence. I always think of it as the ideas sort of come through your body and through your hands and then you give sort of physical um, evidence of those ideas. And, and my ideas have um, been largely looking at patterns and rhythms from the natural world. And it was interesting, and Deb, I think we spoke about this a little while ago, um, I've, I've had a sense that um, there's a there's a new sort of urgency about that for me. This this sort of beyond just appreciation of nature, but 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 actually, you know, we're clearly we're in perilous um, times, and my work has continued to be about nature. But I've really been questioning: is that enough? You know, we, you know, and that the I think what I'm trying to work with now, and this this feels like my job, is to be communicating about the importance of the natural world, not necessarily by radically changing my work, but just trying to bring that focus to it, mm. you know, how important it is. It's not just about, you know, sort of pretty patterns. It's, it's I'm really trying to um, explore our deep, deep relationship uh, of of connection and of wonder and of mystery and of knowledge um, and 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 recognise our own sort of um, response to both the natural world and then perhaps the art that um, evokes those sort of things in us. Maybe that shows that the voice develops as well. It's not the one voice that stays the same over time, but you respond and react to the world around you. Absolutely. I think that's that's critical to do that in your own way. And, of course, there are you know, many, many different ways of, of doing it, um, but it is really critical that you are aware that you are giving something that you are speaking speaking that you do have an audience you know and as I said that's that's your job that's how I see it anyway how about you Yuani? yeah my Aboriginal like Aboriginal uh, sorry Aboriginal identity has always been really quite at the forefront of my practice so it was always important to relay that in my work and the the issues you know that are um that we encounter every day as a result of colonization so I didn't, I didn't actually intend to become as what people call a politically motivated artist. It just happened, I guess. So, and I've also, I've always been, um, yeah, not really a follower. So I've always really done my own thing. So I've never followed the crowd or anything like that. So it's, you know, copped a lot of shit along the way as well. Like if I'm not doing what other people think I should be doing, then you sort of, it does get, you know, was originally frowned upon, I think, now. So, but I, I feel like it just, 
you know, empowered me more so to believe in what I was doing. And it wasn't about pleasing anybody else. It was about myself and my family and my community. So it's something that was really important to me. So, you know, like what Claire was saying before, you know, like people sometimes strive to become famous really quickly and it's really quite... I find that really weird. I've never, yeah, never really thought about that as well. So it's something that, um, yeah, was, yeah, I think being an artist was just a, you know, something that I was really passionate about and, and it's taken me to places that I never imagined I'd ever go to. So it's it's something that, um, yeah, changes every day, I think, changes every year, depends on who I meet, who I speak to, what stories I hear. Um, and what you know and also more so these days like larger public works like in absence for the NGV architecture commission it was something that um, came about because someone wanted to work with me and so it was a really beautiful sort of situation where something you know my practice was changing and it's ever evolving so that's for me that's really exciting I love meeting new people even though I'm still quite shy surprisingly so it's um I like to be able to you know have the opportunity to meet you know more First Nations people from other countries and mm. and uh, that's part of the, the I guess the process for me. And how did you you said that you were approached for the NGV in absence mm. collaboration? How did that? How did you find that process of someone coming to you and and asking to work with you? Because I get the impression it's kind of the other way around, really, that you have a particular story that you want to tell or particular people that you want to work with. Yeah, it was. Um, I had a. I knew that uh, Kim and Aaron from Edition Office were were keen to work with me, and it, it was through a mutual friend, um, Daniel Boyd, and uh, they had worked with him on a. War Memorial Commission uh, for the Australian War Memorial uh, in Canberra, recognising uh, Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander servicemen and women. So I knew they were hanging around a little bit, but um, I didn't know. I thought that they had sort of originally had, you know, forgotten about it. So, yeah, so I knew those two guys were really good to work with. I had met them briefly a couple of years ago and it's always really nice to be approached to work on on something uh, with other people. And I have actually said no a number of times to some people, but um, I felt like I could particularly trust the crew from Edition Office to work on something that was as important as an absence. You mentioned, Nuani, that you've had um, people try to steer your work in a certain direction or make... I guess, judgments perhaps about how political your work is. And I wondered for both of you, as you become more um, known and more experienced, how you juggle the responsibility to yourself as part of your practice and especially with the content that you work with, Yuani, as well, how you make sure that you're capable to continue telling these stories and that you're you're, you're feeling positive about um, the experiences. For me, yeah, I've started saying no to a number of projects and for me, it was it, it's more about um, self care and um, looking after yourself more. I think these days, and I think uh, the situation with the pandemic has actually made me think more deeply about it because I think people tend to forget that you might be reading something about a massacre or uh, some sort of racism towards Aboriginal people, and you actually need time to step away and spend time to. For me personally, I like to spend time by myself. 
and um, away from from the world a little bit. It's it's about making sure that you you're for me anyway. I'm surrounding I'm I'm surrounded by people who you know are loving, uh, very um, you know very caring and things like that. Or sort of are the same as me really, because um, it's hard when you're working around around people or around people that don't understand the need for you to, to be by yourself for a couple of weeks or something. Don't need to be told off about that. <laughs> or made to feel guilty. I don't like being made to feel guilty. That's not yeah. fair. And it's not fair on anybody. Not, yeah. not useful at all either, is it? <laughs> no, no. And I guess there's, there's so much contemplation and reflection and planning that goes into any artworks, you need to kind of carve that space out for yourself, both in preparation and, and I guess, the come down of, mm. of that process as well. How mm. about you, Claire? You've just had a, a mammoth year with the with your icon show that's still touring. Mm. Um, Sala featured artist and a monograph and a, and a film. How, was, how did you kind of look after yourself during that time? No, <laughs> no, that's right. Well, there's one, there's one aspect, I don't know, I'm not quite sure how I got to this point, but actually it's through there's so many processes of making that are actually sort of um, kind of deeply therapeutic and meditative for me. And it's really interesting just in the the recent shutdown that we had and, you know, Adelaide SA hasn't been nearly as hardly hit. I definitely acknowledge that, but... Um, I wasn't making anything for about three or four months and I found that really hard. And so mm. there's, a, there's there's actually, and I think, I mean, my work's obviously really different to Iwani's, um, there's, but there is something in the making, the rhythmical aspect of it and the themes of it that are, that um, give me a lot, actually. Um, but doing a, doing a big year like the Sala year and the Icon year where, We've created a book um, and a film and there was tons of, um, uh, you know, radio and newspaper and a little bit of telly stuff, you know, there was um, all of those things that became part of my commitments and I did a lot of public speaking. It was something I just felt like I, it was sort of a great opportunity to um, have an artist in, in the spotlight and I, again, I see that as for me as part of my job. Mm. So to to you know, if if the newspapers are interested, well, it's like yeah, okay, bring it on. You know, let's get some let's get some art and art making. You know, in the public arena as much as you can, and you know, maybe that's also the sort of the the educator in me and um, an advocate in a way. So. I just, I just felt like, yeah, I felt like it was totally part of my job to do all of that stuff. And I also, also really looked for the opportunity in it. Um, I think I was, I was able to look after myself pretty well through that because um, I, I think if you prepare and think about, you know, really what, what are you hoping to um, not just get out of it, but who do you, how do you want to be? It's the how how you want to be in it that's sort of really useful to do, um, to step through those incredibly sort of high pressure or I don't want to say busy because it's such a useless word, but um, <laughs> um, the high pressure, high high output sort of thing, sort of time, but mm. working out how you want to be in that, in that time 
is a really important way of actually self-care too, mm-hmm. as well as the usual, lots of walks and yeah. um, good food, not too much grog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Thank you both. I think we're going to open it up to some questions. So if you haven't already, please feel free to ask a question in the chat or to say that you would like to ask a question. And we have someone in waiting who would love to ask a question. And I hope I don't fumble your name or less. Belfrage? I think that's first niece. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So I'm, um, thank you, um, Deb. Um, yeah, I'm Claire's niece and um, Yuani, I'm actually doing a, um, a study at uni. I'm a science student, but I'm doing a um, Indigenous art and changing the nation subject. And my um, tutor is Ash Perry, who I think. Oh, Ash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know Ash, yeah. Um, so he said to say hi, I told him to come to this talk. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you both sort of touched on it already, but I just wanted to ask how you think your artwork sort of contributes to social or political change or how art can do that. Um, Clary, you said, like, you know, that you uh, have a responsibility maybe to start a conversation with people, but do you think it goes, or educate them, do you think it goes beyond that or that it can and how? I feel like, I mean, you know, Yuani's work is is so um, so powerful in a in a political cultural way at a completely other level to mine, of course. Um, but it's really, and I've many times I've sort of gone, you know, it's what I do is it is it worth anything? Is it does it is it you know is it is it worth continuing with? I've definitely had that those thoughts many times and I think it's important to have those questions through your career too um, but I guess what is um, what the, the feedback I guess I, I guess answers that question you know when people will will say they've walked into an exhibition and then have just had tears come to their eyes because the the feeling that the work evokes um, in them you know takes them to a place and um, that that's really powerful and, and important. Um, that that's you know that kind of thing I guess has made me feel like if if you can connect people to nature or to the natural world and not not just to a place but the feelings that it evokes, then that's a really valuable important thing. Um, but yeah, so I think that probably answers you, Orla. Um, but it's at it's at such a different level to Ioannis that you know, and I think it's really good that we're both sort of speaking to this because it is coming from very different um, different sides. I guess I'll just add a tiny bit more to that is, and that is that um, that the the visibility of the making process I think is also something that's very powerful for people, um, and that's you know I'm in a craft based medium. And that evidence of of the hand, I think, is also another really powerful thing. You know, and I'd say particularly as we become more screen-based, um, those very hands-on processes, um, again, I think, I think connect people to rhythms of life, you know, and that's through through the body again, that, that is powerful and valuable. But um uh Ioani, you've had such a strong, you know. 
I've had to sort of find that in a way. I think I think you probably maybe something you were saying earlier. You didn't necessarily choose to to be the kind of political artist that you are, but it it, it probably chose you. I suspect. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And I think yeah, um, it's yeah. Now that you mention it, it's like I I oft, some, sometimes say it's in my blood, obviously. Mm. But it's um, and I think that. Um, I often reflect about reflect on the uh, as I mentioned earlier the the importance of the women in my family. So, and I think um, just yeah. But also, I think when I went to art school, I let like I yeah was quite a you know uh, quite a shy person, and then I went to art school wanting to learn how to blow glass, and then. Uh, I felt like that gave empowered me as well because it was such a physical making process, and I think um, and I found that yeah, uh, my voice got louder and louder I think through the creation of work, mm. and I think it's interesting like because people sometimes still think I don't make my work, mm. um, and uh, like I do, but then. You know, like I like before I call on people who can make it when I can't. So it's mm. so I think um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, also, how people perceive work, and and I often say that art is very powerful in terms of an educational tool. And I guess I think about that a lot because I've met so many people in my lifetime where they've been quite racist. And you try to, to tell them something, but they they've got their own sort of narrow mind, narrow-minded views that there's no point in using any more energy to try and change their mind because they're never going to change their mind. Whereas if you create an artwork, and and it's someone gets to see it in in an exhibition or a state institution, and they're never going to forget that. So. Um, so do you do you feel like your artworks have have um, had you know made change have have had a political sort of and cultural impact? Do you have a sense of that, Ioani? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. It depends on if um, it's interesting. I'll tell you this funny story. It's uh, I w- the um, I was. I'm not often around my work during an opening or around my work when it's been exhibited, but um, I was I was at a um, the opening of um, Versus Rodin a couple of, number of years ago, and my work Burial Ground, which is in the collection of the Art Gallery of South Australia, was on display. And I was in the room, and I was actually in the room with um, Karen Cunningham, and there was a group of people that were standing in front of the work. And it was a, obviously it's about genocide and it's a memorial and it's about a burial ground. And um, this person said, I don't really think it's, you know, it's the perfect, you know, sort of work to describe colonisation. So people and some people are not going to get it, but it's, but it just made me laugh. It's like you obviously can't see it. So, but yeah. um, it's... It's interesting, but at the end of the day, sometimes I don't really care anymore. Like if they don't get it, they don't get it. They're never going to get it. Mm. But as long as I make some change with kids or 
someone who has um, learned something from that from an artwork for one of my artworks that's a good thing mm. yeah um, I don't I think I said it um, the other day it was like I, I don't really care if I please everybody yeah it's about um, what is important to my community yeah. Mm. yeah thank you both and thank you all that was a really great um, provocation we have some questions from Sam Gold coming through the chat so I'm going to read those out Sam asks, what are some processes that you have found useful in developing your conceptual ideas and then being able to articulate those ideas outside of the work you create? Go for it, Ioani. <laughs> um, me, uh, I guess it's, yeah, there's a lot of reading. Um, I don't read as much as I should, into, but I look at a lot of archival material, a lot of talking to family. Um, ideas don't always come as quickly and I don't try and push it either. So, um, and, but a lot of, for me, when it's not, yeah, when I'm not in Melbourne, I travel quite a lot. So it's, and it's something that might take uh, like months or it could be a couple of years. Depends on the, the idea, but also depends on the scale of the work. Like um, Thunder Raining Poison that I made with, um, the Jam Factory um, Associates in 2015, it was a two-year project mm. and that involved a field trip with the seven associates and then studio time and workshop times and stuff. So it varies actually. So I'm not sure if that answered the question but it's sort of, yeah. Mm. And how incredible that you could have taken the, the associates on a field trip as well. Yeah. That's really yeah. important for them to understand yeah. the work that they're making. Yeah. I do... Um, I do lots and lots of walking and looking <laughs> and and I photograph a lot um, and um, and then I do a fair bit of drawing. Sometimes the drawing drops off a bit. Um, so I'm sort of drawn to a particular kind of pattern. Usually, usually um, I develop a palette of colour for a particular series um, and... Um, and I'm usually have to discover what's the what's the key feeling that I want to this work to be evoking, you know, and that sort of feelings when you're talking about rhythms, um, sometimes tricky to identify. And I often actually think a lot about music, and because I can articulate that stuff in music sometimes just for myself um, more so. And so I think it's really, really useful sometimes to go sideways into another kind of medium or another art form, whether it's music or literature or, you know, um, to to explore an idea for sure. I think the other part of the question, Sam, was about how you then articulate your ideas. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty hard, you know. Some, we all have agonised over two sentences or three sentence artist statement, that's for sure. But I think with lots of things, just to get to know what you're on about, you have to go much bigger and then you can then you can distill it down. Mm. And by going much broader in in your thinking and your writing or, or, or in drawing, I think you you're just learning your, your ideas for yourself. A lot. Part of my process, so I do a lot of cold working where I'm really looking at the work a lot 
that's when a lot of my thinking happens as well. So I don't, I often don't listen to podcasts or music, but I, I do half half probably because actually being quiet with the work is sort of really important as well. I feel like I saw a lot of heads look down and take notes just then, Claire, when he talked about thinking big and then bringing it back in. <laughs> um, Sam's question was a two-parter. The second part, um, what were the first five years like for you outside of academic study? Were there critical turning points for you that impacted how you are the artist you are today, i.e. teaching or mentoring or further study or more shows such as solos or, or national tours? It's a crucial time, that first five years. Mm. I'll go first. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a, a lot of hard work and um, still a lot of hard work, so it, it hasn't changed much. But, yeah, the first five years was pretty pretty, pretty big, I think. Like I applied for um, a, a workshop program in Scotland the, for the year after I finished honours. So for me, it was really important to plan ahead. And that's what I say to my students at VCA as well. Just, yeah, just keep it, keep that momentum going. That's really important. Um, and I, I moved to Melbourne um, two years, oh, two years, was it two years? Maybe three years after I graduated um, at UniSA and I, went, moved to Melbourne to undertake a master's at Monash University and stayed. I really like it in Melbourne. So I think, yeah, and I, I think it's the same. Claire and Debbie and I were talking about mentoring and talking to younger artists and things like that. I find that I'm doing that quite a bit anyway and it's it's sharing knowledge and and I, had a, I have a, a quite a large number of mentors along the way. And um, one of them is Destiny Deacon, who has a show that has not officially opened yet at the NGV, who I love very much. And she's been a huge part of my life since I graduated art school. I'll hand it over to Claire. Yeah, I think um, I just, you know, probably went flat out. Um, I really wanted to make something, you know, make it work. I never thought I'd be an artist, so it, was, it took me a long time to actually catch up to that idea. Um, but I really loved doing what I was doing, so I, I worked as much as I could. I, I worked with other people. I did a lot of assisting, glass-blowing assisting. I went to conferences. Definitely, I definitely felt like there was a community and there was a current happening, and so I was finding the way to jump into that current, which kind of carries you along in some ways. So going to um, Ausglass conferences for me was great because I connected with people from around the country at my age and stage as well um, and workshops and um, I probably in the first five years I probably got a grant I reckon for um, you know my first small solo show in the gallery too at the jam um, so just learning all of those processes and asking for help along the way um, I think I, I think Stephen Bowers probably read over my grant application and definitely gave me a few excellent pointers um, to improve it and, you know, things like that. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think I was making quite a bit of production work as well. Again, as I sort of mentioned earlier, really trying to develop skills, working out how to make a living 
and then somewhere in that trying to go, oh, I still want to do some exhibition work as well, so kind of, and doing assisting work. So it was kind of a combination of lots of different things that was that were on offer that sort of helped me, yeah, build my skills, earn, earn an income and, and keep developing. Thank you. Um, Catherine Truman asks, do you think it's an artist's role to be political? Well, definitely can be. You know, absolutely um, can be. I don't think has to be because mm-hmm. I think what art does, um, you know, there's such a broad spectrum to what art can be and perhaps should be. You know, I think I think art, you know, needs to take us into many, many different ways of understanding our lives and our culture and our world. Um, and there are lots and lots of different ways of doing that. But, you know, I think in essence, you know, somewhere in it probably all art is is somewhat political. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's perhaps a little bit about intention and, and you know, and the percentage value. I don't know. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah. What do you think, Yuali? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, yeah, and it, uh, it depends on um, why it's political. Mm. And um, but yeah, I think I've got nothing else to add. I feel, thought that was amazing. Yeah, I've got a question from Sonia Picaro. The introspective and quiet time you have both talked about is very, mu- very much resonates in terms of ideas coming to the surface and self care. I'm curious how you, Claire, manage this and sustaining an arts practice when your children were quite young, keeping up with momentum whilst teach whilst meeting the demands of parenting and teaching, etc. Thanks. I think yeah, that's a that's a a good one um well I went you know a little bit you know a little bit mental sometimes that's for sure (laughs) um but I think uh I think as I sort of you know said earlier there's something about aspects of my practice that that are enormously enriching for me and one of the things that I worked out pretty early on when I first had children was that I found teaching hard um, I, I was I was teaching um, at UniSA when I had my first child and I went on maternity leave, came back part-time, and te- I found that that was so much of was going out that I felt that was a real tough call to do that parenting, which is so much of stuff going out, so much of your energy is going out and teaching, um, whereas I found when I stopped teaching and would go to my studio, even though it just grabs, you know, two or three-hour little blocks of time to go to my studio that I that was um, something that you know replenished me um, so that's a maybe that's lucky I, I don't think all artists necessarily experience that actually the process of making is a replenishing thing but that that is how it is for me um, so I was I was really um, really strict about my studio time and my my time away from the children, and uh, that that totally kept me sane, and it worked for me. Thanks, Claire. We have one last question from Jane Skier, and I love this question. My five years is about to be up. I have been running. Jane has been running for five years. For anyone that knows her incredible practice, but I've forgotten how to take time off. Any tips? Oh, you got to lock it in. I've been guilty of that myself. You've just got to plan ahead. Like anyone else would plan a holiday. 
I've been, yeah, I've struggled with that myself personally, but it's um, it's about committing to it and actually blocking it out in your diary and actually being really quite what Claire's strict with it because it can become, I'll be honest, it becomes problematic and you actually become really sick. So it's, but then it's ha- it has happened to me and um, you want to be able to enjoy what you're doing and you're not going to enjoy it if you don't take time out and, um, and actually enjoy time to yourself. And I, the way I've worked around that is my time when I come over to Adelaide to work in the studio or work at the jam factory, um, at least, you know, I sometimes hide out there. Only a few people know that I'm in town just even that quiet time away from from the hustle and bustle of Melbourne is really important for me. But, yeah, there's, it's been a long time since I've had two weeks off in a row. But I did it over Christmas this year and I'm pretty proud of myself. I, I think there's a... I actually think it's part of the discipline of being an artist, mm-hmm. um, I would say, and and whether it's... whether. And when we don't achieve balance in a day, not necessarily in a week, we have to work out what's what are, what's the rhythm and cycle that you can that mm. will work for you. Um, and you know, I have my definitely have my patterns of early morning walks with Gabriella Bazzetto two mornings a week. And, you know, and I, I do some some of that sort of fitness stuff, but. I just had a week away up at Ikara Flinders Ranges and it was just so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, again, I just had that sense of re- rejuvenation and replenishment and, and quietening right down, mm-hmm. right, right down. So, yeah, balancing that sort of go for it, you know, take every opportunity, say yes to everything, you know, that that powerful kind of thing that... Um, that we're encouraged to, to be or have with with that quietness is just mm. it is just super important and you do you have to lock it in and just interestingly um, going back to Sonia's question too one of the, I was much better at it when my kids were little because we would go away with you know it was a bit more structured time in a way um, and now that my kids are big I've had to you know sort of find that a bit again. Mm-hmm. Um, because it hasn't just been, you know, school term holiday or that kind of natural rhythm. Yeah, but, yeah, it's just, it is super important. But I think you can think of it as part of your discipline mm-hmm. and your discipline maker, which, are, you know, and um, like I'm sure you are, Jane, that you, if you perhaps think of it in that way, whether it's yoga or walking or bigger trips away, yeah, that's mm-hmm. super important. Mm-hmm. I always like going away somewhere where your phone has no coverage. Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) You don't feel guilty about your phone ringing because it's not going to ring. So it's sort of... Thank you. We've got one very last question from MFA, which is this commitment to community and the role of nourishing and mentoring that can often feel like energy out, as Claire spoke about just now. Do you find your relationships with studio assistants and collaborators nourishes you in return? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the energy going out was that I referred to just before was much more about teaching at university and, you know, teaching classes of 30 students, hot class. And, Deb, do you remember that? <laughs> 
probably there. Anyway, so quite quite different. I think I think in a sort of more mentoring role and working with studio assistants, it's, it's there's a lot of reciprocal kind mm. of um, energy energy ideas support. You know, going backwards and forwards for sure. And um, I think uh, like like I'm one of the the oldies around the studio now for sure. How did that happen? Um, but I love that. Old, I, you know, old. Well, I'm not, I'm not old. I don't know. That's quite true. But I am one of the oldies in the studio. Um, and uh, but I love it that I work with you know twenty year olds. You know, just just people from all ages actually, and pretty well from sort of twenty up to you know up up and up. And that's really great. I love the energy that different people at different times of their practice sort of bring you know there's different hungers that people have um different appetites at different times of their practice and I love that to to have to be exposed to that gives me a lot of energy for sure and that that's an important part of keeping community strong I think is that that cross-section of of people at different ages and stages and that's probably so across lots of communities not just a an art making community do, do you think you are me or yeah 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 because while you've been talking too it's um was thinking about um the i worked on a project with my family with the um uh it was part of tanandi what was it last year for um at ace open and it was called no black seas oh, yeah. and um and so I've been going back and forth um, to Sejuna quite a lot to work with um, the artists at their Sejuna Art Centre and I'm pretty much related to the whole town there. So for me it was really wonderful to be able to go back and I don't get I don't get to go back as often as I'd like to, but to be able to work on that project and share ideas and knowledge with my aunties and my cousins, it was really for me quite humbling and I just loved being there. But also being able to tell them what they were entitled to as well as artists. So it's sort of there's that sort of community development, I think, too. So for me it was such a beautiful exchange that I got to sit and have a cup of tea with my aunties while sitting in the studio with them while they create work and they tell me stories. Yeah. And yeah. So that for me that's a wonderful experience and I'd like to do that more often, I think. And it happens at the jam factory as well, if you sit in the lunchroom in the kitchen, talk yeah. about TV shows and that other stuff, I think. I really love that engagement um, and who's doing what and what people are working on and what drink, what beer we're drinking later or something. So, yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing that you're both ready for a drink. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tuesday night, no way. <laughs> and thanks again to Claire and Yuani. That was a really lovely conversation. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website, guildhouse.org.au, for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.